This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I'll interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. My name's Adam Sokol. I'm your host. And if this is your first time joining in, thanks so much for being here. If you've been here for a while now, thanks for coming back. Today's episode is with Mimi Herman, author of The Kudzu Queen. And our discussion is all about uh, home restoration. She bought a very old house when she had just enough money to purchase the house, but not enough money to have other people come in and do a lot of the work that she needed to have done. So Mimi uh, did, you know, all of the things you can imagine in a house. And I don't just mean wallpaper and, you know, maybe finishing a wooden floor. Uh, She learned how to do electrical and plumbing and carpentry and all of the things that when they go wrong in a house that I am living in, I immediately call someone else because I don't want to mess it up. Uh, Mimi is just a little bit more brave than I am, apparently. Uh, She tells me the story of how she purchased this house, basically sight unseen, and then how she came to step by step start to build back up this century home into what she truly, truly loves today. Her book, The Kudzu Queen, it reminds me a lot of The Music Man, which if you've been listening in lately, you know that I am a musical theater fan, much like many of our uh, authors that have joined. But it tells the story of a 15-year-old Maddie Lee Watson who dreams of men, not boys. And then in their North Carolina small community of Cooper County in the early 40s, This stranger comes into town spreading the gospel of kudzu, claiming that it's this plant that will improve the soil, feed cattle, and do a lot of miracle things for humans as well. Uh, What ends up happening, again, if you're familiar with The Music Man, a similar story, uh, kudzu is a very, very not helpful plant. Um, If you look up kudzu on a Google image search, you will see how it can quite literally swallow up communities whole. Uh, it is um, a bit of a aggressive plant. And so this story kind of follows what happens to the community as well as the, the people themselves, and specifically Maddie, when this uh, ne'er-do-well comes to town. Uh, yeah, so that is her book, The Kudzu Queen. And I will say... Uh, If you are looking for another book that you would like to check out, the one I'm currently reading is called Lazaretto by Diane McKinney Whetstone. Uh, I just started it, but it's really, really fantastic. It is the story of Philadelphia's black community during the civil rights era. 
uh, and excuse me, not during the civil rights era, it's a little bit before then, uh, but the place that it takes place on is this island where two rivers meet. Uh, there's this quarantine hospital, and it's really the first stop for immigrants who wish to begin new lives in Philadelphia. Uh, the Lazaretto's Black live-in staff have a very strong social community. Uh, when one of them receives permission to get married on the island, everything kind of changes uh, into a mood of celebration. Uh, and drama starts happening almost instantly. Uh, it's it's really mysterious. It's really interesting. It's really fascinating. I'm really, really enjoying it so far. Um, it is just in the aftermath of the Civil War, <laughs> not the Civil Rights Movement, uh, but like literally the opening stages of the book itself take place right after Lincoln has been assassinated and builds out this really beautiful but tragic story that I'm so far really enjoying. So that's Lazaretto by Diane McKinney-Whetstone. If you'd like customized book, re book recommendations from me, you can always send me any reviews that you've left on Apple or iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to the podcast. Just screenshot that, send it my way at uh, passionsandprologues at gmail.com, and I'll give you some customized book recommendations. Every month, I also give out a bookshop.org gift card to anyone who sends me their passions, things that they're passionate about to my email. Uh, pick one of those at random every single month as well. And lastly, you can find me on TikTok and Instagram, Passions and Prologues there as well. Okay, that is all the housekeeping. I cannot recommend highly enough that you go get a copy of The Kudzu Queen. It's a really, really phenomenal, phenomenal book. And this conversation with Mimi Herman is extremely delightful and insightful if you are looking to get into some home restoration business of your own. Okay, that's everything. That's all the housekeeping. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Mimi Herman on Passions and Prologues. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, Mimi, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. What is the thing you're super passionate about that we're going to discuss today? Hey, Adam, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm super excited too. So the thing that I am passionate about is my house. Um, mm -hmm. About when I turned 30, I bought this house and it's coming up on its 100th birthday pretty soon. Um, and it's it's like my extra skin. Um, it's amazing. And I, when I bought the house, I had no money. So mm -hmm. I had to teach myself plumbing and carpentry and floor refinishing. In fact, I painted the entire interior of the house before I'd even closed on it. Oh my, okay. This is, so I am fascinated by anyone who's able to do these types of things. I am on like a over the past like five years, I'm on this life journey to become more like self-sustainable and be able to do things. But uh, when it comes to home related things, if it's like 
electrical or plumbing, I'm like, I panic and I call someone. So when you purchased this house, you said you did the painting before you even closed, but how much did you know you were getting into from a like fixing it up slash restoring situation? Um, well, I had never seen the interior of the house in full light. Should I tell you the story about how I came to buy the house? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so I was turning 30 and I'm like, you know what? I want to own a house. I'm tired of renting. It's time. Mm -hmm. And so I told a neighbor who was a good friend and she said, well, it just happens that um, the woman two doors up from you is thinking about selling her house. She's not putting it on the market, but she's thinking about selling it. And her name was Nancy. And so Nancy invited me up to the front porch and we sat down on the front porch and she said, well, honey, you want to buy the house? And I said, well, Nancy, I might, but I kind of like to see it. Is that all right? And she said, all right. And so she brought me into the front room with, I kid you not, a 10 watt bulb. Okay. So I looked around the front room and then she ushered me back onto the porch and she said, well, honey, you want to buy the house? Oh my God. So over the next week or two, I saw a room at a time. The only way I got to see the whole house was that I followed the inspector around. And that Mm -hmm. way I got to see the attic and the basement. Um, But I really did not know what I was getting myself into. I just knew that I could barely afford the house, but I couldn't afford to pay somebody to work on it. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the inspector that I, having bought and sold a few homes at this point, I, I vividly remember I I purchased a a house that was kind of flipped and they did like 92% of a good job. They did a very good job, but there was like some things where like they didn't properly um, insulate a pipe here and there or like something would be put upside down. But uh, I remember still to this day walking through and it was like a mistake in my mind to walk through with the inspector because their job is to point out everything that needs fixing. And so when you walked through with the inspector, did you have like a oh goodness, like moment where you're like, oh, oh boy, there's a lot to take on here. Or did it make you excited? Um, He didn't really tell me too much of what needed to be fixed. Um, And the house was pretty sound. Uh, So no, I didn't. I didn't have that feeling. I will say that I got it refinanced years later and I had this room that I called the ruined Tuscan Villa living uh, dining room Mm -hmm. um, because I had come back from Tuscany and I'd been in a cooking class and I thought I'm going to throw a dinner party for 10 people and I'm going to cook everything I learned how to cook. And I love cooking. That's my other passion. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I made all this food. And in the meantime, I thought I'm just going to strip the walls and repaint them while I'm organizing the dinner party. But I got to, uh, I got to um, like two days before and I realized, you know what, I can either cook for my friends or I can strip about another square foot of wall mm-hmm. so i'm just gonna leave it so it was all cracked and you know wallpaper here and there and everywhere and um and i kind of grew to like it mm-hmm. and then um i had to have the house reinspected to refinance the house and i thought oh no this uh, he's gonna make me fix this room mm-hmm. and so i used my shameless flirting skills yet another passion um <laughs> and i just charmed the guy and i was like oh well this room this is my room in tuscan villa living uh, dining room i keep saying living room, dining room um and he ended up not asking me to do a thing okay so that's first off that's amazing i love that so much and when you're going through the house, you mentioned painting it. And then I also love that you're like, while I'm planning this dinner party, I just, I'll fix this one room. Like, well, that's, 
That is definitely the multitasking of like of a writer. That is like something a writer would say like, oh, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll just do a few things over here and then also refix this whole house, this whole room rather. Um, what were the like first major projects other than, like you said, painting the entire inside of it? What were the first major projects you took on? Because I imagine there were a lot of them with a century old house. Definitely. Well, the floors were in bad shape, so they all had to be refinished. So that meant renting the huge sander and mm-hmm. wrestling it into submission. Um, there were also toilets that needed to be replaced. So I taught myself how to replace toilets, how to put in sinks. I designed and built cabinets for my kitchen. I invented this really cool thing, which is half depth cabinets for under the, I have to have, sorry, half depth drawers for under the sink. So you know how there's always sort of disgusting stuff under yeah. the sink? So instead of opening it up and seeing disgustingness, you have drawers and one is exactly the height of, you know, foil and one is the height Uh of short bottles. Anyway, so I built the cabinets, built the countertop. Um, That all feels like it happened all at once. I know it didn't. It happened over several years, but it feels like it happened all at once. So it it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like while you were going through this process, you didn't just realize you were capable, but it sounds like you seem to enjoy because I don't think anyone just says I'm going to basically invent a new type of shelving like it seems like you enjoyed this process I love it because I am crazy about design I do a lot of website design now Mm. and other kinds of design and I just love thinking through what's the problem and how can I solve it in a way that's interesting beautiful and most important useful Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was a lot of fun and I had um, my Bible, which um, you won't be able to see on a podcast, but you can see the Reader's oh. Digest, complete do-it-yourself uh, manual, and then its companion piece, the Fix-It-Yourself that manual. is amazing. Okay, so <laughs> I th- this has become like a new thing. So my, my father is in his early 70s, and he's retired, <laughs> but he is like... My parents are, I always joke that I can't tell how old other people are because my parents are in the early seventies, but like my dad runs half marathons. Like he still runs with our running group. And like my mom walks like five to seven to sometimes 10 miles a day. Like they're so active. And one of the things my dad has taken up in his past couple of years since retiring is like, he'll look up stuff on YouTube. He'll be like, oh, our washer isn't working. So I just looked it up and he is getting pretty good at this type of stuff. Like I the books you just showed me are are massive and honestly that almost looked overwhelming to me. It's like how did you when you're okay, so you're doing the flooring and then you're doing this the shelf work, like did any at any point you think to yourself, oh actually maybe I wanna like take up carpentry as like a side project type of a thing? Oh yeah, definitely. I I love doing carpentry. I mean I, I like doing plumbing, you know, but plumbing's practical water flows downhill that's pretty Mm -hmm. much how it works so but carpentry is beautiful um Mm -hmm. and yes i mean i i want to live all sorts of alternate lives and in one i'm a full-time carpenter and Mm -hmm. i went to a hippie dippy quaker school for high school where we did everything we didn't have to wear shoes my graduating class was 20 people um or 10 i can never remember um anyway so we learned everything and i always wanted to be a renaissance person Mm-hmm. which means I do a lot of things moderately well. Yeah. Yeah. I, we are simpatico because I'm the same way. Like I always said, I never wanted to be defined as like one thing. 
um, when I was like younger and stubborn and trying to figure out like, so I, as I told you before I started recording and people who have listened to the podcast for a while and like, I am a marketer in tech, but I also am querying my own novel. And like you said, I'm a, I'm the same way like you, I'm a home chef. I, you know, am a runner. Like I never wanted to be that one thing. So I, I definitely, I appreciate that. And I also just feel like life is too short to become like, and the t- no shade on anyone who does this, but like, uh, spending like 50,000 hours like knitting or spending 50,000 hours like painting. I, I don't know. To me, I'm like, I want to explore all of the things. Yeah. It's just so fun. And I keep discovering things and I have really high standards for myself. So I want to be really, really good at everything that I do. Mm-hmm. But, so you know. because of that, when you're fixing up this house that, like you said, needs a lot of like, you know, TLC was it trial and error to do, like you said, like finishing the floors, like plumbing, like you said, it's like either that toilet works or it doesn't. So that, that's, yeah. that's one thing, but like finishing the floors, like I imagine you could always make it look a little bit better or a little bit better or a little bit better. It's like, as you're learning these things for the first time, did you find you were capable of seeing a job well done and accepting it as a job well done? Or were you like me and you're like stubborn and being like, I can make this a little bit better? Yeah. And even when it's done, it's always like, oh, I could have made it even better, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the other thing too about carpentry in me is um, I'm fine at math. I mean, I'm not brilliant at it, but I'm fine at it. But you know that that thing, measure twice, cut once? I have mm-hmm. to measure about 15 times and cut yeah. once because I can't keep like dimensions in my head. This is So this is actually why I don't think I'd be very good at carpentry because while I love cooking... I want to love baking and I, and I do bake, but because baking is also like science, I get very stubborn when I'll see a recipe be like, use exactly two and one fourth cups flour. I'm like, come on, really? And then sure enough, like when I'm making the dough, the dough's like either so too wet or too dry. And I'm like, oh, they were, they were right. So I feel like, and that's the low stakes version. I feel like it was me doing carpentry. I'd be like, oh, this, uh, this two by four is six inches short this feels like a problem like that would be that would be my issue i think um right so there was the floors there was the plumbing there was painting were there other things in the house you discovered because like you said you were kind of learning this on your own um well as it's as i've gotten further along um i've started doing more optional things so i recently Mm -hmm. um tore down and replaced a porch Real okay. Well, so tell, uh, let's let's dive into that. Like, what was it? A um, like, is it a wooden porch? Is it like stone? I guess. Like, walk me through it. It's wooden. It's a side porch off the side of the house, um, off my partner's study, and mm-hmm. um, I wanted him to have a place that he could sit and relax without worrying about you know falling through rotted wood. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I tore it down and replaced it, and taught myself how to do a you know concrete footing that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Oh my gosh. So we do that part together. Um, And actually, you know, as I've gotten a little more money, it's gotten to the point where if something doesn't look like a fun project Mm -hmm. and it looks like it's going to take more time than I have, then yeah, I'll hire somebody. But yeah, it's sort of like that thing when you get, because you mentioned cooking, my passion as well. It's like once you get to a certain level of quality of cooking, it's like you make that decision about going out to a restaurant. You're like, do I want to go someplace and think the whole time, like I could have made this yeah. and not spent the money? I imagine it's probably similar to that. Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. Especially, I mean, with cooking, I've gotten to the point where it has to be, somebody's got to be a really good chef for me to want to go to that restaurant. Yeah. 
or it's got to be kind of diner food, which I love. It's so funny you say that because that's exactly my thought is like, I either want something that I would not make myself ever. Like, um, so I'm, I'm a pescatarian, so I don't eat meat, but I eat fish sometimes. And so like sushi, like I wouldn't make myself sushi. So I might go out and get it. Or the other thing I want instead of something really elaborate is I want like a simple, like a, a plate of pasta, but done flawlessly. Like I want like, you know what I mean? Like the pasta done perfectly and and things like that. Do you find now that you have these skills, like when you're out and about, say like touring with your book, which we're going to get to in just a little bit, or, you know, visiting other people like that you see carpentry or like tile work or something done at a a different location. And you're like, Ooh, maybe I want to take on that. Or are you able to kind of Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm constantly looking at that stuff. I have like a whole shelf of books of, you know, great design. I'm like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if I did this? And you know, those cabinets have been around for a while. Maybe it's time to start looking at redesign and what Mm -hmm. are some good ideas that I could get from ones that I'm seeing? Yeah. It's, it's tempting. I mean, that's why I need a whole life to do each thing. Uh-huh. I, it sounds like this is a forever home for you, or are you going, do you think you will one day like sell this thing that you put so much heart and soul into? It's, it's hard. I mean, it's definitely, it feels like my forever home, but also, you know, I lived in Ireland for a while and I'm thinking about going back. My next book's going to be based in Ireland. And yeah. so I'm thinking about going back and spending some time there. We're spending a lot of time in New Mexico, which we love. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think I ever want to sell this house, but I might rent it out for stretches at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were in Ireland, was it for, because I know you you are a teacher and you've done a lot of, like, was that like for a writing workshop or what, what yeah. sent you that way? It was right after college and I, I wanted to learn to be a more independent person. So I wanted to go where I didn't know anybody and I didn't have a place to live and I didn't have a job and yeah. see if I could make it on my own. And I'd always loved traditional music and Catholic boys. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was 22. Okay. What can I say? <laughs> we are very similar. Not so much the Catholic boys thing, but the, <laughs> the, the traditional music. And I, um, I'm very much like, especially this time of year, it's like Irish jigs and I want to make soda bread and yeah, I'm Ooh, me too. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how would you say, or if, if it does like does this, these aspects of your life where you're spending so much brain power and honestly, like manual labor, upkeeping and fixing things around your house, like, does that have any effect on your writing process? Yeah, it does actually. I mean, in two completely different ways. One is, um, it sort of clears my brain, like, like a wave clears the beach. Mm. Um, so it's not about words. It's not about people. It's not about characters. It's just about figuring out how to make something work and using my hands. And so that's, it's, it's great because it, it gets the clutter out so that when I go back to writing, I've Mm. got something to do. But the other thing is, um, as I said, I'm all about design and design has to work. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm not very patient with the idea of writing just for myself. Mm -hmm for me, writing is a gift to the reader. And so, um, I want a book that I want to write anything, I write a book, a poem, a story. I want it to be of use to the reader. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm always thinking about how something's perceived as a, as a writing teacher. Um, one of the things that we talk about 
in Writeaways, which are these writing workshops that we offer in France and Italy and New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And as a writing teacher, we say, you know, we're not the author's advocate; we're the reader's advocate. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, I want to, I want a book you can live in. That's what I tried to create. It's a book you could live in. Yeah, which makes sense that you have a house that you're building <laughs> that you can live in as well. And so. Getting to your book and thinking about it with your house, like your house is this historical, like you said, it's over a hundred years old and it's this, it's rich with stories and, and history in itself. And your book is also somewhat based on historical events, correct? Yeah. Um, so a, many years ago, more than I'd like to admit, because that will tell you how long I've been working on this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I came across an article on microfiche, which pretty much tells you how long ago it was. <laughs> Very long time ago. You just revealed um, yourself. I know. I can't believe I did that. So um, so this article was about these men who toured the South promoting kudzu. Do you know about kudzu? I am slightly familiar, but for the listeners, the book is called The Kudzu Queen. And in the intro, you will have he- heard me talk about it. But I'll talk a little bit about kudzu and then, and then the, the article, and then, and then we'll get into the book as well. Okay, so kudzu was introduced um, at the World's Fair around the turn of the last century, not this past one. Um, And it's beautiful. It's a very beautiful plant. It's um, uh, from Japan and China. And there it has natural enemies, so it's kept in check. But um, here it doesn't. And so it takes over everything. And um, I don't want to give away too much of the story, but it was heavily promoted in the U.S. And so anybody who grew up in the South knows kudzu because you can't drive down the highway without seeing it, like basically bringing down large trees, covering tractors, covering houses. You know, I call it Southern topiary. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to find out after growing up with this stuff that there were people who promoted it that had kudzu festivals and kudzu beauty pageants, well, it's irresistible. I had to write about it. Yeah. I mean, for people who don't know what kudzu is, like think of when like think of seeing a like a beautiful Irish countryside where like the house has like moss on the roof, but instead of it being moss, it's these leaves and it covers literally everything. Like it does not stop overtaking stuff it looks like almost like if you would see a like majestic snow covered like area but instead of snow it's just all green like it is it overwhelms basically everything that it does so so talk about the the article that kind of birthed the kudzu queen about like like you said it was about basically people promoting this wildly growing situation so there was a man named Channing Cope who wrote for the Atlanta Constitution um, and also had a radio show. And he he talked about how great kudzu was. And he invented the Kudzu Club of America, which mm-hmm. had many, many ma- members. Um, and it was amazing because the CCC paid young men to plant it along railway embankments. Um, the Department of Agriculture paid farmers to plant it um, and produce pamphlets on the proper propagation of kudzu. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed so interesting. I mean, they really thought it was going to save the South. And and think about the time, too. In the 30s, people were worried about the Dust Bowl and about um, erosion. So here was a plant that they thought would prevent erosion, that they thought um, would would uh, did everything. I mean, it was a food. You could make paper out of it. You could make clothes out of it. You could feed your animals. You could feed your family. I'm sounding like the kudzu king, Um, (laughs) you know, and, and it fed nitrogen back in the soil like bean plants do. So Mm -hmm. it would have been wonderful if it could have been kept in check. 
Mm-hmm. And it, but as so many things are that we bring over to the United States, it cannot be kept in check. Yeah, yeah. You would think we would have learned our lesson by now. And I recently found out that, um, unfortunately, it doesn't make a very good biofuel, but it makes a great beer. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that's that's something at least, I suppose. <laughs> So you you see this article, like you said, it's something where it's like, it's too fascinating not to write about. And then you decide to write the story. So tell our listeners a little bit about the plot of the, the Kudzu Queen and kind of, again, like as much as you you would like to get into it. But um, yeah, just in your own words, I kind of, you know, chat about the book a little bit. Okay, so um, the narrator of this book is Maddie Lee Watson. She's a 15-year-old girl. She's a bit on the sassy side. Mm-hmm. Um and she falls madly in love with the kudzu king who comes mm-hmm. to town to talk about how fabulous kudzu is and she really wants to impress him he is literally twice her age mm-hmm. um but she's got a huge crush on him and she wants him to notice her and she also wants to be the kudzu queen but she's not really the beauty queen type i mean she doesn't think of herself as particularly pretty she's not girly so uh the story sort of follows that process uh it also follows her friend lynette um her best friend lynette and her oldest friend rose um through their own stories and what happens with them and it gets darker and darker as more emerges about the kudzu king yeah i was just gonna say it reminds me a little bit of like a dark naturalistic music man i suppose because there's like kind of Yeah, sort of like a a con man who comes into town and like offers something that seems too good to be true, and obviously it is. And there's but there's a lot of a lot of darkness. Not to say that there isn't darkness in the Music Man, but um, that's what I thought of. I was reading it. I was like, oh man, this has like Music Man vibes, which as a Broadway nerd, I very much appreciate it. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, think Music Man meets To Kill a Mockingbird. That's perfect. Honestly, yeah, I that's a really yeah, obviously, you would have a better description than me of the book that you spent so much time writing. <laughs> um, I so having spent so much time on it, how does it feel now that it's it's out in the world? Like you said, you're you're working on on your next novel, like, how does it does it feel having being a person where you said, like, you write stories for the reader? Like, do you feel at peace with the book being out in the world? Or does it feel strange? Adam, it is glorious yeah happy yeah so what you have to know about this book is as i said it's been a really long time writing it um and my first draft that i'm like okay i've got a draft it's done i'm happy this is great was 680 pages oh that's a A little long yeah a little bit (laughs) so i have this thing that i call playing pickup sticks um where it's like can i take out this word this phrase this character this scene this subplot um, and will the rest of the book still stand? So it's now 320 pages. I took a book out of that book. Yeah, I was literally just going to say, like, you basically took like 130,000 words, it sounds like, yeah. out of that book, more or less. Yeah, but I'm thrilled. I don't miss it at all. I, ha- I also have another thing that I call the pantry. When I take something out of something I've written, I put it in another file. It's like, there, there, you're okay. I'm I'll not throwing you in this. the trash. Yeah. Um, so, but I almost never come back to it. I think I took one scene and put it back in the book. So mm. I went over this book so many times. I mean, even after, um, even after it was accepted, I went over it again um, and did a continuity um, mm-hmm. and, and anachronism search and basically did all sorts of things like, um, finding out that lemon bars, which were in the book, weren't invented till the sixties or mm-hmm. 
the word sharp for a sharp dresser didn't come around until 1945 and the book said in 1941. So I couldn't use that. Um, or calling up the Bosco chocolate company to find out if you could sell Bosco, that Bosco was sold in 1941 in the South. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy with the book. I feel like it's the book I wanted to make. And now I'm starting to hear from people that are reading it um, and who are living in this book, who feel like they're living in it. And yes. so it's, it's such an amazing feeling. Yeah. Well, and I have to imagine being a, a, a professor who teaches creative writing. Like that is one of the things where I have found having interviewed like hundreds of authors over the years. And again, now querying my own novel. Like I think when I first started this literary journey of interviewing people and wanting to be a writer myself, the idea that you could write, you know, a hundred, 150, 200,000 words and then chop you know, 70,000 of them, like, to me, that sounded so impossible. But now I have such a deeper understanding of it. And it's like, you can't be so precious. And I have to imagine being someone who teaches those concepts to other people it has to be pretty helpful when you're going through that process yourself and understanding like, this is what make, you know, getting that first draft down so that you can query and like sell your novel. That doesn't mean that's the that that's probably not going to look much like what ends up, you know, getting printed years later as it tends to be like yeah i have to imagine that helps being a teacher to be able to understand those things yeah yeah as a teacher and also an editor i mean it, it i'm ruthless i'm ruthless with my own stuff first mm -hmm. of all um and i'm nice when i'm teaching and editing but ultimately i'm pretty ruthless about other people's stuff because I, I think of it also as as tuning you know mm -hmm. like with a music background like tuning a guitar you know, if something's just a little off, you can hear it in the book. If the dialogue doesn't sound like, quite like what that character would say or what a person from that area would say. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. And so it always has to work. There should be nothing, as John Gardner says, nothing that wakes you from the fictional dream. Yeah, I love that. That's that's beautiful. And does it feel, I imagine it has to be, feel extremely exciting to be like researching and writing a whole new story now. Because you mentioned Ireland. That's obviously quite a different situation entirely like that has to feel wonderful oh it's really exciting and it's making me really want to go back and live there i mean it's very different from the ireland i lived in when i was 22 mm -hmm. like, um when you were this is apropos of nothing but just because i have a deep fascination with yeah uh, ireland and scotland and that whole area uh did you live in a big city or like on the in a countryside area I lived in Dublin um, because that's where people told me the work was. But I knew even before I went there that I was going to love Galway. So I lived in Dublin, worked in a restaurant, bartending and waiting tables, worked in a pub, you know, the classic 22-year-old mm -hmm. kind of post-college thing to do. Um, and then I did a cycle tour by myself. I used to do a lot of cycle touring. So I went 670 miles around the southern part of Ireland and then oh, back yeah. to Dublin. And then I went back to Galway and spent a month there. And Galway's really, it's where my heart is. Yeah, because that's very like... When you see photos of like the strikingly like green and beautiful mm -hmm. aspects, that tends to be in the Galway area. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, all over really, yeah. but but Galway's just beautiful and the people there are amazing. The music there was fantastic. And I will tell you, as someone who has cycled through Ireland, the reason that it's that green is that it rains a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that is something I have been told as I'm like thinking through taking a trip over there. Like, yeah, just they're not kidding when they say like dreary and rainy. It's that's there's a reason it's so lush and beautiful is kind of cuts the price you pay. 
Yeah, but it's kind of a soft rain a lot of the time. It's it's mm-hmm. nice. I mean, even if you're biking for eight hours in it, you just kind of learn to live with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the last question I always ask people before we end the conversations is just to give a recommendation of, of anything you want to be. It could be it can be a book. It can be a TV show. It could be um, someone's recommendation was go for a walk. Like it could be just something that you want to recommend people do or read or listen to or whatever it is. Just something you want to recommend that you think deserves a little bit more attention. Um. Well, I will go back to my favorite book, my favorite author who is mm-hmm. who writes in a way that is nothing like the way that I write, but I just think he's brilliant. And, you know, the few times I've met him, I've just thought he was a really good person. I would say, read William Gibson, mm-hmm. read pattern recognition, go back in time. I mean, he, he's the father of cyber fiction. Yeah. And I'm a cyber fiction nut. Um, And he is just, but, but it's not just that it's about cyber fiction. It's that Every single word in every single sentence is right. Mm. I guess that's the relationship that he takes the same kind of care that I like to think I take in writing mm-hmm. of getting it exactly right. Um, and it's just from sentence to sentence, it's amazing. The characters are amazing. The plots are amazing. And the understanding of the world is amazing. That is a perfect recommendation. And I will just add one more recommendation of if you aren't already going to purchase it, go get the Kudzu Queen. It is so wonderful. It's such a great story. You will absolutely lose yourself in it. Mimi, thank you so much for joining me today. Adam, thank you. This has been a delight. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other Evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.